Hi, this is Kevin Eastman, co-creator of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and co-creator of the new series Drawing Blood. You're listening to me on Canned Air. everyone and welcome to another episode of Canned Air, your tribute to comics and pop culture. I am Jeremy Colley. I'm Jack Doherty. I'm Jake Runyon. And boy, have we got a fun episode for you this week. Uh, first in our retro roundtable, what we're going to be doing is talking about favorite movie soundtracks. Not necessarily the best... But favorite. But favorite. <laughs> That's so, an important distinction. Very important. So you're going to get a wide variety of shit in there, I'm sure. Oh, yeah. Uh, good and bad shit. Then in our uh, comic vault, what do we have to talk about today? We got a little webcomic called A Ghost Story. A Ghost Story. Simple hmm. title, fantastic concept. I tend to believe you. Uh, me and Jack are doing a joint uh, offering here on Kevin Eastman's Drawing Blood. I cannot wait to talk about it because, you know, we've, we've waited, what, over a year? Yeah, it has been To a get year. these back. Uh, not that we're complaining. I understand mm-hmm. a lot of work goes into it and everything, but uh, worth the wait, the yeah. story was. Been gearing up for this for a long time. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So uh, yeah, anxious It's a thick it. enough book where it's not just a five-minute read. If that yeah, we didn't like wait on an issue one. We yeah. waited on a we waited on a on a, on a graphic novel. <laughs> yeah, so that's cool. Uh, but then we're going to be welcoming Ron Kassman, uh to this show to talk about his comic, The Tower of the Comic Book Freaks, from Caliber Comics. Uh, we had a great talk with him, and uh, he had a lot of interesting things to say about the gentleman that. of fairly royal comic pedigree. It seems like he's yeah. been there on, on the, the ground floor for a while. I'd like to get him back on uh, and pick his brain more about uh, his his days back at back in the early Comic Con days. Mm-hmm. You know. It'd be a good conversation. Right when it all started, if you will. <laughs> but before we do that, Jake. You guys are our friends, right? You trust us. We trust you. We entertain you. All we ask in return is that you go to Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram and share and retweet all of our stuff every time it comes out all the time. I feel like that's not a hell of a lot to ask for. So if you really like what we do, you can find us on Twitter and Facebook at CannedAirPod, and on Instagram we are at Canned underscore Air. And if you really, really like what we do, we are also on Patreon. And just a small donation can make a huge difference. If you're willing to hit that $5 mark, you have access to the Founders Club Patreon-exclusive podcast, which I would highly recommend you to listen to. Uh, It's a lot of fun to make. People seem to enjoy listening to it. What could go wrong? Not much, I don't think. No. You've got think. very little to lose except $5 a month. <clears throat> and if you don't like it, you know what? Tell us so. We'll change it up. There it is. If you're paying money for it, you have a say in what gets said. So, Which, as a matter of fact, we have had one of our patrons just this week uh, ask what you or finally say what they would like to see in one of the episodes. They want to see the toy collection reviewed. I'm thinking about doing it maybe in video form. Yeah, it'd be nice. That'd be cool. Would it, though? At least partially. How do you partially do that? Yes. <laughs> oh, yeah. Okay, yes. okay, gotcha. All right, so uh, we'll, we'll have to go over that a little bit later. But uh, what else do we have? What if? what if? You just want to go ahead? Oh, sure, yeah. What If is our second podcast project where we explore a range of bizarre hypothetical scenarios and alternate realities, and we think about what the world might be like with these sometimes small, sometimes huge, but always far-reaching changes. What if we could bring back the dead? What if we could breathe underwater? What if we could shrink and enlarge things at will? And it's, uh, God, it's a hell of a lot of fun to talk about. And it moves fast. 
This most recent one. Well, we just recorded one tonight. Yeah. The, uh, if we could shrink and enlarge things. And that went was, some places we didn't expect. It was one of the first mm-hmm. what ifs we've re- recorded. I'm not sure what number we're on now, but we've recorded probably around 10 to 15 of these things. And this was the first one that really kind of blew my mind mid episode. Yeah. You know? yeah you get I, where I hadn't thought about all routes. And I really enjoyed that. Yeah, uh, I think we all walked into, or rather walked away from that one. Right. thinking about it a very different way and I think that's the best part a lot of these topics we tend to go in thinking about it from one angle and leave with our minds blown wide open yeah and walk in with a question and walk out with more more questions <laughs> <laughs> so don't go to what if looking for answers yeah but you can go there looking to be entertained yes that's at uh, whatifpod.com and you can find us on all the players that be we are the what if pod that has the yellow lettering with the red banner on the uh, the space background. Yeah. So, blue field of stars. We got that primary colors thing going. We do. Yeah, we do. We do. Hey, why not? It works. Right? Yep. Let's kick it off with this week's Retro Roundtable. Do it. Do it. Come on. I'm here. Come on. Do it now. Oh, my God. It's so Taste bad. All right. Best soundtracks, at least in our opinions. I am going to kick this off, if you don't mind. Please do. By the small stack of CDs. Small there. stack of CDs. You're not eyeing them. These aren't necessarily my favorite soundtracks, but, well, one of them is. But they um, are soundtracks that I listen to a considerable amount of times. Uh, we have the Ace Ventura, When Nature Calls Very soundtrack. Nice. <laughs> I remember getting this like right when it had come out. Let's see, this is 90, I don't know what's even on that one. I 95. Heard that what soundtrack. had me wanting it so bad was Secret Agent Man done by Blues Traveler. <laughs> <laughs> I love me some Blues Traveler. So I yeah. would have been in junior high school around this time, uh, listening to a lot of Weird Al at this time as well. <laughs> um, Presidents of the United States of America. Do you remember them? Mm-hmm. The song Bull Weevil. They, oh yeah, yeah, and uh, they did peaches too. You mm-hmm. remember them by oh, chance? I love peaches and lump, yeah. lump's a good yeah, one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's the big they, hit. That that album of theirs, that first one anyway, was awesome. I, still I didn't know they did anything after. I What's that? They, I, I didn't know they made additional albums. I thought that it was just that one, and they kind of. I think they did. I th- I thought they made <clears> one more, but I. I I'll have to look into that. I thought there was one more, but I don't think it was anything close to what that first one was. Nah, I doubt it. That that thing was a fucking blip of magic, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah, it was. <laughs> I think it was just a self-titled, right? The Presidency United States. Oh, of I believe it. Yeah, I believe it was. Oh, so good, so good. Another great song on here was Matthew Sweet, uh, "My Pet." I don't know if you guys have ever heard a that. Blank on that one. I think it was uh, specific to this. I don't know that it was actually in his catalog. Oh, okay. But uh, what else we have here? The Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Very that nice. one is the one of the ones that I had chosen to talk Was about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Some good shit on here. That nine point nine five song. I just never understood why that was even on that soundtrack. <laughs> nine point nine five, like being like if you were the uh, judging a, like Dancing with the Stars. You know how they hold up numbers and yeah. shit. Like nine point nine five, being that close to perfect, but not perfect. Hmm. I that guess. Was, I would say about what, that's what that movie was, too. <laughs> You're treading on thin ice, asshole. You better watch it. No, but uh, MC Hammer, uh, this is oh, what man. we do. Mm-hmm. High Tech 3. Spin that wheel. Dun, 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 dun. Spin that wheel. 
Of course, Turtle Power. Boy, the effects aged a lot better than the soundtrack. <laughs> Last Action Hero. There it oh, is. Yeah. Look, I mean, let's just read off the front here. We got ACDC, Megadeth, Def Leppard, Anthrax. Megadeth on a kid's movie. Aerosmith. Right. Tesla. Oh, the whole thing is that way. Michael came in with Buckethead. Man, I didn't even know Buckethead was Buckethead doing was shit that, that early. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Young. For sure. For sure. Dude can shred. Yeah. He's mean to those strings. These soundtracks, I'm, <laughs> there is so much testosterone <laughs> oozing out of this soundtrack. I think I just threw a third ball. I'm not <laughs> sure. <laughs> well, it's all metal. What? Old style metal music. Yeah. And but it's not movie. only good. Like this ACDC song uh, and the Megadeth song, both are are two of the best songs I've ever heard from either of those bands. Damn. And they're, they can only be found on this soundtrack. Maybe on like some of their collections, but uh, Megadeth's Angry Again, check that out if you've mm. never heard it, and uh, ACDC's Big Gun, awesome too. That does sound like an ACDC song. Doesn't it yeah, though? Yeah, it does. Uh, but okay, so I offer these three, I just threw them out on the table, because uh, after it had nice. been suggested, I saw them sitting nearby, I thought I'd keep them around for such. So those three for novelty, this I'm counting as my first entry. The soundtrack <laughs> to Dumb and Dumber. We laugh, gentlemen, but this is got to be one of the best soundtracks there ever has been. And I can prove—I can't prove, but I can—I can say from uh, firsthand account is actually the perfect road trip soundtrack. <laughs> that I agree with you. I yeah. believe. You. Yeah. 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 But uh, Crash Test Dummies on here, The Ballad of Peter Pumpkinhead, come on. Dead Eye Dick, New Age Girl, like, what was that, Mary Moon? She That's what it was, yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She don't eat meat, but she sure like the bone. <laughs> <laughs> Green Jelly, The Bear Song. Tell me who doesn't know <laughs> The Bear Song. There. Yes. I didn't know that. The, the Bear Went Away. Knock Off of Iron Man. <laughs> yes. Where I, oh my God, this soundtrack just takes me back. I, of course, a lot of it comes from association, you know. Let's, it's a bit of a time, time capsule yeah. soundtrack. It really it's, is. It's but stuff it's, that people remember fondly. I still know? listen to it all the time. Why not? Still, to this day. You got your butthole surfers. You got your uh, gigolo ants. Mm-hmm. Not familiar with them, <laughs> but whatever. Who am I to judge? Fucking nobody. I'm, all right. What's your soundtrack? I've got a couple. Uh, one. <clears throat> all right. There's one I'm saving for later. Mm-hmm. If you're not going to touch on it, we'll call it a joint effort. You probably already know where I'm coming from because we've talked about it about four different times on the show. There it is. There's the smile. Okay. Um, the other one I want to talk about is uh, uh, Smoking Aces, which. It's not a huge movie. You guys probably haven't even seen it. I think I have seen it. Okay, all right. We'll go same composer. Let's talk about um, Requiem for a Dream. Nope. I haven't seen Requiem. Wait, wait, wait. Hold up. What was that? Tell me. Describe it to me. Okay, it's it's got that title or the theme track. Lux Eternal. It's like. No. What was the movie about? Oh, Requiem for a Dream. Heroin addicts. Obliterating their lives. It's got Jared Leto. Leto. No. Leto. No. Jared Leto. I haven't seen it. No. Okay. Let me switch gears because that's gonna be <laughs> Clint Mansell, who's a brilliant composer. Just Clint Mansell's great. Right, moving on. The Big Chill soundtrack. You ever seen The Big Chill? With, uh, Jeff Goldblum and No. Don't think so. But Holy I think shit. I think Brooke has that or has something to do All with right. it. Well, it's a fucking killer soundtrack. It's got the right combination of like you got your 
Marvin Gaye, Creedence Clearwater Revival. Mm. It's nice, like, Motown sound. You've got Procol Harum, Lighter Shade of Pale. Oh, wow. All these fucking killer tracks from this time, and they flow together. So, uh, Smokey Robinson, Tracks of My Tears. You know what you're describing right now is the soundtrack to Pirate Radio. Have you oh, ever seen Pirate Radio? God that damn. film was so good, right? I, I I could have that on in the background just for the music that plays. Let's here uh, for the sake of conversation. And I'm going to pull it up. The thing I love most about that soundtrack is there is a hell of a lot of kinks in there, and I still think the kinks yes, are it opened one of the up most, with all day and all night, yeah, right? One of the most criminally underrated bands in fucking. History. I don't know why people don't talk about the kinks more. Maybe it didn't open up with it. Well, yeah, Cream, The Who. Yeah, there's the uh, Procol Harum song. Uh, Otis Redding, The Supremes. I mean, this is all the Turtles. 98.6, is that better, Jack? <laughs> than 9.95. <laughs> Sunny Afternoon, who can go wrong with that? Such a good song. I mean, so much good stuff here. What you got your Bowie, a... you got your Moody Blues. Father and Son, Cat Stevens. That song there is, it is a masterpiece. Oh, Eleanor, that's a masterpiece. Yeah, that's 2011? I thought it was older than that. Nah, dude. What? The year it came out. Or wait, no, Nine. 2009. What did I see? Oh, it just from. Yeah. Anyway, a lot of good stuff on there, and a hell of a great movie. If you have never seen Pirate Radio, watch it. It's a killer soundtrack. So anyway, there are my picks. Anything by Clint Mansell. So we're talking uh, the Fountain, Smoking Aces, uh, Requiem for a Dream. I said, but Big Chill soundtrack, amazing. Pirate Radio, incredible. Mm. I'll open it up for uh, for Jack. <laughs> like. My one first, for four. <laughs> my first one that I don't listen to so much anymore, but if I heard it, I could carry on any song with it. But I had it in my car when I was a teenager. Well, late teens after, yeah, after, let's say after high school, but then I wouldn't be a teenager anymore. Through high school, I would say. It was caught in my car, and I blamed it on my sisters, it being my sisters when I was... Little Mermaid soundtrack, wasn't it? No, 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 no. It's a lot better. Lion King, yep. Nice. Nice. I'm so fucking close. I knew it. (laughs) It's like this buildup is coming for some reason. And my buddy's dad owned a a Jiffy Lube when I was getting my oil changed. And of course, all the friends are working there. (laughs) And they're like, oh, what do you got in the air? Oh, fucking Lion King, huh? I was like, oh, it's my sister. Yeah, she left it in there. Uh Uh-huh. Dude, no one never, can they deny never let me. like the musical credibility of the Lion King soundtrack. It's right. good. Yeah. It's good. Um, I think I actually I bought it for my sister on cassette back in the day for like Christmas or birthday or something, and uh, we listened to it all the time. Yeah, mm-hmm. it was good. Yeah, I think that was the John only. On Come on, yeah. yeah. I think that was the only Disney soundtrack I've ever had, but it was it was that good. So you know, I think that's. At the time, it was. I, I, I've i had the uh, Toy Story soundtrack, mm. but I only ever listened to the Randy Newman things, which is that's songs. <laughs> yeah, I can say that's not songs from the movie so much you know, as while we're all... background music. No, it's songs from the movie and the background music, but... Um, well, songs that are in the movie, but the characters aren't singing songs in the movie, like The Lion King and stuff. Oh, no, 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 no. No, nothing like that. But, um, I'm sorry. I don't know what I was but umming. While we're all talking about music that our sisters had, my sister (laughs) uh, had a copy of the Mulan soundtrack. I don't know if you recall, there was an original Stevie Wonder song on there. It was pretty solid. Didn't see it. 
After, no, that was probably uh, Lion, after your time. Lion King was the last one I like. We used to go watch those film, films like every summer in the theater religiously. Uh, the Little Mermaid, uh, fucking Beauty and the Beast. Like I remember, we saw all of them when they came out. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, around Lion King is where that's probably the last one. I after that, I don't remember seeing was any Aladdin of them. after that. That was no. That was before. Was it before? Okay. Well, it's just more of our massive difference in age. You know? <laughs> I never saw Hercules. I never saw nope. Hunchback. I remember nope. Hercules. Um, I, I never saw Pocahontas. I saw that one. That was a date movie, though. So that's why yeah, I saw that count. one. Yeah. Yeah. Pocahontas. <laughs> <laughs> Boy, there's a joke in there somewhere. <laughs> yeah, let's, Polka, just, Polka. let's just leave it. It's been done before and better, I am sure. Yeah, that's true. All right. Next one on the list would be later on in the years, after high school, The Wall Ooh. soundtrack. Oh, wow. Nice. Okay. When I started. Does that count? It's That's iffy. It's a movie, though. <laughs> I know it is. I, it's a I movie it. based around an album more so than an Ooh. album based around a film. Yeah, you're right. I Fine. think. But because I'm a Floyd <laughs> fan and because The Wall is fucking awesome, <laughs> it counts. It works. All right. Love that uh, Vera on that album. It's amazing. I can't remember. It's been so long since I... Uh, to Vera, know what song or what, because they... has become of you? It's like just a two-hour... One song for like that. I mean, I don't know where songs stop and start. Yeah. Pretty much. What was that joke? Like, I, I listened to Pink Floyd for an hour and a half, and then I skipped to track two or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and for some reason, especially with the Roger stuff, you can always like, for some reason, hear a TV on in the background. Of <laughs> yeah, love that. Yeah. <laughs> After um, that, I'd have to probably say uh, the Back to the Future soundtrack, hmm, the first movie. Good call. So what you got? Uh, Huey Lewis, "Power of Love," and then the uh, the score. Uh, yeah, that's what I say. Mm-hmm. Pretty much all score with mm-hmm. Huey Lewis. That's a good score, though. Who did that one? Do you guys know? Mm-mm. Mm-mm. I don't either. Crispin Glover. No, he did not. <laughs> <laughs> but he's in the movie, so I'm not like super wrong. <laughs> a few here I'd like to mention really quick. Uh, first of all, South Park movie soundtrack, oh, the bigger, yeah. longer, and uncut soundtrack was absolutely amazing. That is every bit as awesome today as it was the day it came out. You know, when you hear uh, Trey Parker talk, you know, first and foremost, he's like a songwriter. Like, in, uh, That dude has a genuine talent and passion for music. So talented. Like, yeah. It's and there. It's yeah. real. It was in this medium that he got to really, you know, they do songs in South Park, but yeah. in this he really got to do like a full-on South Park musical. Like, it threw me for a loop when they first busted out in their first song, and then the next song came, and I was like, oh my god, they did a musical. This yeah. <laughs> and it, it was so good. And the soundtrack experience was just as good. And, uh, like, after all the songs from the soundtrack are over, there's a whole bunch of, uh, there's a whole, like, added extra songs at the end with like uh I can't even remember who maybe like uh who was the little the little mini me guy that used to be with Kid Rock oh my god <laughs> something Joe I think it was Joe C Joe, Kid yeah, Joe I think that was Joe C or something like that yeah I think it was Joe C was his name yeah I did a song on there I think it was like something Kenny is dead or something <laughs> like that you don't remember that song no, I didn't. It know was that. all the Joe fuck C over MTV, and maybe I'm thinking of, of um, at all. 
Well, he wasn't like the... He was like the sidekick to whoever the main... I don't think it was Kid Rock, though. Maybe it was. But I also think now I'm thinking of the Chef Aid album where they did that song, Kenny is Dead. That came a lot earlier. Hmm. That was based on an episode, but it like was a whole... like Elton John was actually on that, if I remember correctly. Yeah, anyway, South Park knows how to do a soundtrack. Solid. Excuse me, I went off on a tangent there. Another one that is really awesome and none of the other uh, ones around it did as well as this one Halo 2 soundtrack oh yeah did you listen to that absolutely that was up above the water that's a fucking crazy song that initial riff you know yeah yeah for sure Um, but you know this Halo 2 I mean Halo in itself was such an experience yeah and when they announced the Halo 2, like, I just remember, like, salvating, like, down the front of my shirt, like, this is happening. And I was there for the midnight launch. We did all kinds of, sh- like, games and shit they were having at the game store. And it's hard to explain, but Halo was, like, halfway religious back then. It, it really was. something. Like, and, but it hit you. I went in there and spent every dollar to my name for the full experience. I bought the full special edition that's in the metal case. Nice. I bought the big thick ass strategy guide, which I don't fucking no, need. Who cares? But and you know what? Just to boot, I bought that soundtrack. It's a great soundtrack. Sa- and that soundtrack is really outlasted um, everything that I bought that night. I mean, not the. I mean, uh, Halo Two still amazing, not, but I never play it. But. Um, one thing that really stood out to me about that soundtrack, one, there was a song on there that Hoobastank did called Blow Me Away. Oh, and it was yeah. it was them trying to make like a gamers like <laughs> right. anthem like song. Oh boy. Like it was trying to be hard, you know what I mean? Like it was kind of dorky. But <clears throat> but it was right for the album though. What, what made the album amazing was Incubus did four tracks on that album called the uh, Movement of the Odyssey or Odyssey I, of the Movement or something. Uh, I thought I wrote it down. Every now and then, I had Movement no of the idea Odyssey. that there was a soundtrack like that for Halo. Oh, yeah, no now in, now Incubus. It's not like they're like singing or anything. It's just them doing the music. But it's uh, damn, it's so hard to explain. It takes. It's hard to explain. It sounds like Halo. Parts of it sound. You just gotta listen to it. You just have to hear it. it. It's 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 yeah. Every now and then, I think about Incubus and I almost spaghetti western. Yeah, yeah. Hmm. Can you hear that? It's got kind of a, a a wasteland backwoods kind of feel to an extent. Like the dramatic tension is there. Yeah. Danger Mouse and vibe. Daniel Lupi, I don't know how his name is pronounced exactly, put out an album called Rome where they had uh, Nora Jones and Jack White featured on it. But a lot of it was not even, there weren't any, any lyrics or vocals. It was just this music. And it reminded me a lot of that. Oh, yeah. And uh, that had a very Spaghetti Western kind of feel to it. Nice. Was it in the game or was it just the whole separate project from with Halo's They used it? it in the game. I think, I don't know about all of it, but yeah, it was definitely part of the score it, of the game, of the, yeah, of the actual game. I just couldn't tell you where. I think it was, it came at like high suspense Moments, so like when you're running for your life or trying to run, get the warthog out at the last minute, you know, when you're least paying attention to the music yeah, right. that's going on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But, um, all right, Jake, we're back to you. Where are we at here? 23. You said there was we'll one. Make this one quick because we've talked about it before, but it still bears mentioning. I want to say it at the same time if it's if we're actually thinking of the same oh, thing. Oh, yeah, yeah. So, all okay. right. So, three, two, 
one queen, queen of the, the damned. damned my man uh, yeah. yeah don't you're in on that so, too yeah, right yeah. you know that yeah I yeah know that one. i was gonna say that one but i can't remember a lot of the songs on there but i know that album was amazing i feel like there were a few there were a few tracks correct me if i'm wrong that were made specially for that um one of the jonathan the jonathan davis contribution because mm-hmm. i think he kind of yeah, spearheaded yeah. the whole project movie and soundtrack if i remember yeah, correctly kind of his his little passion <clears throat> project there right but there was a manson song on there uh the disturbed uh, wayne static was on yeah. there i used to listen to so much static x back in the day that album had a very <clears throat> at least for the first three quarters of it i, I feel like toward the end it kind of fell apart mm-hmm. maybe not that it was bad but no. it just I guess what I'm saying is, Jack, you mentioned earlier, you know, listening to Pink Floyd, The Wall, and the same can be said about Dark Side of the Moon, where you don't really tell where a song ends and what begins. It's the album. It's an experience. experience. And um, that's how that album kind of was. I think maybe maybe they intended for that. But, you know, a lot of those songs that contribute in that are from other albums. So I think it could possibly be an unintentional kind of a thing where you put it in and I would never know where it was until about song eight, nine. Then I would know. Like, like, oh, yeah, there's a spine shank or whatever. But it just it, it all flowed together nicely. I tell you what, though, if I had to pick a standout track, uh, "Change" by Deftones. Oh my God! I watch you change. It's like the variations in pitch are so crazy, but goddamn, what a cool song! I watch you change. Deftones, man, that was great. Every now and then, I I get the itch again. I'm like, okay, I might have to close this episode with that song, dude. Why not? Ron's gonna be like, what the. <laughs> Why? Because the vibe is completely different than oh, this conversation. This heartfelt personal journey through comics and then change. House of Flies, Deftones. I hope so. All right. Anything else, gentlemen? No, I, I think that wraps it up yep. nice and tidy. All right. All right. Very Look good. Look up Clint Mansell. Educate yourselves. Educate. And buy a t-shirt while you're at it. Why not? Society6.com forward slash candor pod. You can wear a t-shirt. You can buy a koozie, a fucking decal, a a clock, a a bath mat. Get them. They're going fast. Just do it. They are. (laughs) We're running out. (laughs) (laughs) What did you say that one time? Crazy Candace Emporium. (laughs) I believe these prices. (laughs) They haven't changed because there's no demand. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, also the Matrix had a pretty good soundtrack. Society6.com. Get some merch and the Matrix soundtrack. Yeah. Well, you you can't actually get that there, but shh. Okay, sorry. They'll already be there before they know us. Sweet. All right. The Comic Vault. Who would like to go first? I guess Since you guys have your thing going, I'm going to knock mine out really quick since I just want to uh, make people aware rather than spoil the story. I chose a webcomic called A Ghost Story, written by... Um, now, I it's spelled B-E-A, and I'm sure whichever way I take this, I'll mispronounce it. So B or B... Yeah, I'm not totally sure. Is drawn and written by someone by the name of B-E-A, be it B or Bia. Yeah. And let me give... <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Appreciate the help. Let me give you uh, the excerpt from the About page here, which I think tells it perfectly. And boy, once I read this, I was I was in. I knew I had to be in it for the long haul. 
says, A ghost story follows two unlicensed and semi-legal paranormal exterminators who work as ghost hunters for hire in a world where ghosts are pests, neighbors, and sometimes dangerous menaces to society. Using unconventional methods and their connections to various shady dealers of occult items, the duo meet new friends, ruin everything for everyone, and are usually the driving force behind citywide panic. And I don't know what I can say that would sell it better than that little paragraph right there, but it totally lives up to it. I love the style. It's got that clean, I almost want to say like Cartoon Network vibe, mm. where everything is, is just like the, the polish is there. You know, it's solid, it's stylistic, it's not exaggerated, it's it's tonally perfect for the subject matter, which alternates between hilarious and dark in equal measure. Uh, really fantastic. So I'd highly recommend you check it out at a aghoststorycomic.com and on Twitter at just ghoststorycomic. Very good. So I please think I do. might have looked into it's that It's well worth never your time. actually read it. Oh, it's... it's Take the plunge. Make it happen. That sounds All cool. Right. It is. I like that. Super cool. I'll let you gentlemen... All right. So what me and Jack are talking about this week is, uh, again, we're talking the Kevin Eastman, David Avalon, and the Ben Bishop Project, Drawing Blood. And we had Kevin Eastman on the show. What That was episode what, would you say? 160, 170 area? That sounds probably about right. Somewhere in that vicinity. And we had him on uh, not only to make my dreams come true, (laughs) but to... uh, talk about this project uh, that's when the kickstarter had first launched and um me and jack got in on the ground floor and uh, he he described it as the completely fictional true story was that right it was yes something like that it's like a fictional autobiography i guess right so um <laughs> i didn't know what to expect i mean i only would as i assumed it to be his life just embellished yeah you know uh, what his experiences embellished with, uh, you know, wrapped in all this fiction all mm-hmm. around it. I, I don't want to say too much about this book just because it's brand new. Uh, I don't, you know, I don't want to ruin, I don't want to give anything away. But I feel like this is, and maybe I'm wrong. I don't know Kevin Eastman at all. You know, we've, I've followed him most of my life and, you know, we've had him on the show and I've got to talk to him uh, again since then. So what I know of him this seems like this is rooted primarily in... Uh, you think it's pretty true? I think a lot of this is pretty close. Think true. So. At and the very least, the struggles represented or seem very personal. Something that he... And if, you know, if it's not, you know, bravo. Because, <laughs> I mean, you've, you've got me, like, sold and wondering. Yeah. And maybe that's just because I look too far into things. And again, I'll say because I came off the... The watching of Haunting of Hill House, where I'm trained now to look for <laughs> every, every little detail. detail. <laughs> right, but there are just a couple things addressed in here that, um, ah, uh, man, I, I just, I, I, I don't know how to say it. It's not that I hope he's okay, but I just like, man, like what, a, what kind of a struggle he must have been dealing with. Where I know I gotten in the first chapter, he got into some pretty serious shenanigans because of his having to clean up some debt. It wasn't his debt, though. No, from his friend that create helped with helped create. I don't even think it was that radical rearranged Ronin ragdolls. Like throughout, yeah, which are you know obviously the uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle mm-hmm. equivalent here. I guess we should say Shane Bookman is the is the uh, the main character of this story. Which he and his brother created this comic book of 
Shane and Paul Bookman have created the uh, radically rearranged Ronin Ragdolls, which are three yep. cats that are supposed to be like a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle equivalent. Right. They and made this. millions and then they sold it and now the money's running out and he's pretty much drank his life away and he's trying to get back into the business. Oh, I, I didn't pick up the drink thing. Maybe I read too quickly. Well, he's. I think, well, I think it's just part of. The- there's a scene in here where he comes. He keeps seeing his creations. Like mm-hmm. he keeps seeing these I love cats. That, isn't it? And at one point, they can run up to him. And they're like, "You betrayed us. You sold us like we were slaves and yeah. gave up. Why?" And you know, in real life, Kevin sold his majority of the turtles. I think in the '90s. And I think maybe kind of distance himself from it for a while. And I I could be butchering this. I hope I'm not butchering it or talking out my ass here. But this, from my knowledge, this is what I know. So I just wonder how rooted in reality that is. Like if he actually felt that way, you know. Mm-hmm. I love that when his drawings are coming to life, he's actually a drawing to himself. Kind of reminds me yes. of One Crazy Summer, I think it was. I didn't even notice that. You're right. Yeah. Um, another thing is like when he does flashbacks to when he was young, like uh, meeting his hero, like at that convention. At the convention, how it was all drawn it, comic style. Well, it turns into Kevin Eastman's original TMNT kind of style. Yeah. Drawing. Yeah. The black and, and white. Yeah. Yeah. And then later you'll see the styles intermix. Like you'll see the the cleanly drawn Shane Bookman in the middle of like that gritty black and white Kevin Eastman. Mm-hmm. It's it's such a well done book. And there's another thing in here that I, uh, you, I mean, you already know is true, where he uh, is like minutes away from going to a convention, and right before he does, it's announced that the that the movie producer who's about to make the Ronan Ragdolls movie announced that they're not going to be mutants, but they're going to be aliens. <laughs> Oh, have a little bit of a real life happen oh, there, boy. I think. I'm not going to say any more. Yeah, don't do it. Yeah, but if you are a Kevin Eastman fan, you got to read this. Because I, I don't know. You know, I think maybe... I hate saying this because it could be such a... It could be taken so wrong. But I feel like this is way more uh, actual nonfiction <laughs> than fiction. I think there's a lot of, uh, lot of truth in this book. I turned out... It, I liked enjoyed it a lot more than I thought I would. I mean, I thought I was going to, but I actually... Well, you had told me, you know, you read the first chapter and I was going to follow suit and do the same. We just talked about that one. But I sat down and I couldn't put it down. I, I blew through it, man. I Did could you? not quit reading it. Yeah, I was like, <laughs> holy shit, I'm done with it already. Like, it, And that's what I think defines a good book, you know, that can just grab your attention. Yeah, be lost in it and just keep You going. lose track of time, yep. where you are in the book. You're just... In that story, that's where I was with this. So, drawing blood, check it out. It's a man. It was a good read. I think I'd have probably done the same thing, but I realized I was at a chapter, so I was like, I can go ahead and stop here because I don't want to stop in the middle of a chapter. Because and you know, we waited a long time for it, so you want to savor it. You know, you don't want to just devour it once like I did. But you know, we got the we got the Ronan Ragdolls issue one that we can then touch on next week. Mm -hmm. So that'll be fun. I love when his brother saw the billboard and he's like, "Yeah, that movie's titled." Because it's just the R's on the, the oh, yeah. movie. <laughs> Actually, not next week, because next week's our Christmas episode. Oh, yeah. oh. gentlemen, big thanks for our Christmas episode. We, we still have some work to do on it, but I've True. got something planned. Okay. Uh, uh, I've got a, a... I'm working on a game. 
kind of like a like a Christmas Olympics Russian roulette. How'd you know? Well, oh. I had a thought. I'm working on a game, multiple tiers of this game that are going to be ultimately when we do games, we don't have any incentive, do we? Right. We don't have prizes. Uh-huh. That very first one, you had a prize. Back, that. Way back in the day. I, yeah, that first one. Now, that was cool. I still have pictures of it. I, I bought an Iron Man figure, and I glued his appendages to his side, you know, glued him, like, into a stiff position, hot glued his feet to a cat food can, spray-painted the whole thing gold, and it looked like a trophy. <laughs> it was awesome. And, and uh, Jeff went home with that, I think. Yeah, didn't he? punk. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, <laughs> this year I took I took twenty five dollars out of the can there fund, oh. and uh, we got some prizes. Oh, we got some intriguing. good prizes. <laughs> I, I mean, we have a grand prize, is what I should say. Sure. And you know, I'm working it to where you know, obviously, you guys are going to be playing each other, but I don't see it very fair that I can't win said prizes oh, either. Okay. So I'm working a way that <clears throat> into the game, as you guys play it, you'll both be playing for me without even knowing. Certain things you do will be getting me points. <laughs> You're going to win, and then I'm going to take the prize from you. <laughs> you leave my house and not take it with you. It's just a prize to be here. No, that's what not what I'm that? saying. Yeah. I want a chance to win. It's, okay. I mean, okay. I, come on. I worked my ass no, off on this shit, too. Yeah. Why can't I have a chance at I winning get it. that shit? So. I'm 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 putting little things throughout the well, game I'm, I'm that'll to see score this. me yeah. points yeah. that hopefully will give me a chance to win said <laughs> said goodies. Well, all so, right, you Let's got that it. to look forward so at to. At the end, one of us will think we'll win, and he'll be like, "No, the uh, got you, me. Fucker. <laughs> oh no, I'll keep you informed the whole time. But, or should I? That would be it even was better. Me all along, keep it a secret. That would keep be better. <laughs> I can, so you could be there the whole time thinking, "I won, Ooh. I won." Like, actually, Sorry. fucker. <laughs> Crunch this is going to be a Merry Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> and we're doing a gift exchange. Yeah, we are. That's yeah. going to be fun. Yeah, I think that will be fun. So don't forget Getting your fucking your socks. gifts. Socks. Socks. Yeah. Get your feet warm. All right. Cool well, pair of canned air socks. <laughs> <laughs> for society6.com forward slash canned air pod. <laughs> oh, man. We'll make us the money at the same time. <laughs> Giving them both ends. Oh. <sighs> All right, and now joining us to talk about his comic, The Tower of the Comic Book Freaks from Caliber Comics, we have Ron Kasman joining us. Ron, thank you so much for being here with us today. Certainly my pleasure. Glad to be here. Now, I'm very anxious to hear uh, more about this comic. Uh, again, anything we typically get from Caliber is of quality. That's, mm-hmm. that's a fact. Uh, yeah. they, they have good titles. And uh, what I've, I've seen some sample pages, and they looked very good. I'm intrigued to hear more about this book. Well, that's nice to hear. I, I've actually done work for Caliber for most of their incarnation. Um, oh, wow. I've done letter in, in the past, I, I did lettering and inking for them. And then when I went looking for a publisher, they were a natural fit. Uh, uh, Gary Reed passed away a couple of years ago. But uh, a year before that, I sent him the samples, and he sent back a note the same day saying, we'll go with it. Uh, which is which is really neat because sometimes you think I'm going to spend months and months trying to sell this thing, and I've got to sell it just the right way. Everything has to be done so. But um, I don't know if Gary took a, a special look at my stuff because we've worked together in the past, or if he just saw it and thought, yeah, you know, make a few bucks on it, it might sell. Uh, we'll see what we can do. It's worth having out there. Um, 
the story I think is uh, one that, that must be told. It's a fictitious story. Uh, it's not autobiographical. A lot of people assume that it is. When they assume it's autobiographical, the first thing I say to them is, this is a comic fan who two women try to seduce him on the same weekend. <laughs> Do you know any comic fans where two women try to seduce him on the same weekend? Uh, speaking that, from that is not autobiographical. No. <laughs> no, this is a story. It's a story. And then they start to get it. But here's the idea. Uh, and actually, I've got to tell you this about myself. Um, I am old. Not only am I old, I'm legally old. Today is December 10th. On December 1st, I turned 65 years old. Can you hear that in my voice? Do you hear the old croaky voice going? I don't um, think I'm hearing 65. So no, happy belated I, birthday, old, by the way. Thank you. Thank you. I'm old enough at this point to get money from the government for doing absolutely nothing. Oh, that's the okay? great best job. <laughs> I can't and, wait. Yeah. Yeah, good job, good job. So if if you can, so what this what the story is about is the scene of comics in 1971. Five guys get in their car, drive down to the New York City. It's called the New York Comic Book Convention. Now, actually, there was a convention in New York City called the New York Comic Art Convention. So the the convention is fictitious too, but back then. There were maybe three conventions on the go, and the New York one was the biggest. There was the Detroit Triple Fanfare. There was the one coming out of San Diego, which we all think of as Comic-Con right now. Right. And the biggest was New York. It was 100%. No, it wasn't 100%. It was really close to 100% guys. Okay, And the one way that the comics have changed is, back then, the guys were um, socially... They were they were still in social at a, a social adjustment phase. How does that sound? Uh, these guys Sounds were old enough generous. to start going out with girls. <laughs> okay, you've you've met guys like me. We were old <laughs> enough to start going out with girls, but we preferred to stay home and read comics. And this a lot of this was because of uh, fear. Uh, we weren't guys who were stuck in our adolescence. We were guys who were stuck in our childhood. But though we were like that, uh, we grew up pretty well. Uh, we were a very, very successful generation. And this is apart from my story. But a guy wrote a book called the 1964 New York Comic Convention. Uh, his name is Jay Ballman. I recommend his book highly. Um, what he did was he looked at what he called the very first comic convention. And he tried to, con among many other things in, in this excellent book, he made an attempt at contacting every living person who went to that convention. Wow. And uh, they all did pretty well for themselves. Uh, one of them became the uh, producer of uh, many movies, including the, uh, the Batman movie with Jack Nicholson that was oh. made, oh, I don't know when, about 1990 or so? You know that one? No. Or somewhere around there. Mm -hmm. uh, another one became Gene Simmons. <laughs> from Kiss. Wow, wow. Yeah. And th the rest of us became, um, you know, successes in the way we talk about social success. We all did fine, but we were sure hiding it back then. So it's about a convention where the guys are, you know, not, not really nice-looking fellas. Uh, they don't dress like it's 1971. They dress like it's 1951. 
They don't have girlfriends, but there's something special about them nonetheless. I mean, something good special about them. Uh, they grow up. They become, they become strong people, good people. Uh, it's, it, in my story, uh, someone sells a copy of Action One, and he sells it for 900 bucks. And that's about what Action One was worth at the time. Uh, there's one young lady in the story who uh, is a, today we call them cosplayers. Back then we called them kids who dressed up as comic book characters. <laughs> right. So she's the only cosplayer. She's the only cosplayer at the convention. Um, it must have been a little but it's it's a story about fandom in its infancy it's a story about comic collecting in its infancy uh, conventions uh, there's a convention in Toronto now that well la I think the year before last there were 80,000 people at it wow. and it got bigger this year and the one down in San Diego I think it was up to 130 the year before last and it got bigger again so this is a time when the largest convention in New York Sorry, in America, was only 500 people, and what it looked like. And as I said, it's it's fiction. It's not the real convention, but it's Still. the reality of what things were like at the time in in fandom. So uh, the story very quickly. There's uh there are five guys who go down. One of them becomes uh, a collector. New York at the time. Again, this is a way society has changed. Anybody who wants pornography now can find it within 30 seconds at his computer, and no one even has to know. Back then, if you wanted pornography, like hardcore pornography, like you see on the Internet very easily, um, you had to go to New York Times Square. And it was a really uh, strange business. So one guy wants to become a pornographer, and that's why he's down there. One guy is gay. And in 1971, it was not normal to be gay, but New York was a little bit different. And you could be gay, you could, you could act out gay in New York City. So one of the guys finds himself as being gay. Uh, one of the guys wants to become an artist, and he wants to do it through the comic convention. And there's another guy who has some artistic chops, but they're not very good, and mostly he's down there uh, as, a, as a vacation at the end of high school before starting engineering school on a scholarship. And that's the character that we, we cover. Uh, on the way down, they run into a guy, and they don't know this, but the, the, fellow is, the fellow is the second greatest comic artist in the world. His name is Alan Caldwell in the book. Again, completely fictitious. Um, the, the greatest comic artist in the world is Jack Kirby, and Jack Kirby is a character in the book. Um, so I draw a guy in. It looks like I, I drew it. I wrote it. I lettered it. I colored it. Everything. I, I did every, wow. every every. I, I drew in the numbers on the pages. <laughs> uh, absolutely <laughs> everything. So I I did drawings of Kirby for the Jack Kirby character. Kirby is seen as the greatest comic artist of all time, and uh, he plays a role in the book. The Alan Caldwell character, the second greatest comic artist of all time, uh, is an, is a comic artist who doesn't want to draw anything. Uh, he got mixed up, and I, again, uh, I have to apologize. I don't, I don't want to seem to be condescending, but uh, do you know about what happened in the mid-50s with the Senate subcommittee investigation of the comic books that killed a lot of comic companies? No. Do you, do you know that story? I don't know. Well, it's new to you. It's, it's in, okay, well, I'll tell it to you in one sentence. Uh, back then, comics were pro—well, oh, three sentences. <laughs> sentence one. 
back then comics were going a little bit too far. They were seen as a children's medium, and they had things in them were just which were just not childish. Uh, there was a lot of um, violence, gore, and some the sexual. There was sexuality in it that the parents, the mummies and daddies, just did not like. So there was a Senate subcommittee into it, led by a guy named Estes Kavaver. And you might not know that name either, but Estes Kavaver uh, actually ran as the Democratic vice presidential nominee with Adelaide Stevenson, who was running as president against Eisenhower, who won, the, who won both elections. So um, this was a serious committee on juvenile delinquency with comics playing a, a big role. And this part, again, completely fictitious. The Alan Caldwell character, the second greatest comic artist in the world, blabs, sides with the commission, and a lot of people lose their jobs. So he's been blacklisted in comics for 20 years. He's wow. just getting back into it, and he hates to draw. But he's got this old car. And on the way down to the New York Comic Convention, his car stops working. And one of the guys in, the, in, the, in this little group, this little comic club, uh, gets his car moving again. So when they get to the convention, though the guy doesn't draw very well, Alan Caldwell hires him as his ghost. And he has to decide, am I going to take this opportunity to be taught by the second greatest comic artist of all time, ghosting him? Or am I going to go back to engineering school, which I really don't want to do? And that's the, the crux of the book. There we are. Wow. Okay, you, should I hang up now? Is it over? <laughs> no, you just set fire to my questions list. But, man, I am so intrigued by this. It's funny. We just a few weeks ago did a tribute to Stan Lee, and we kind of had touched on some of the very first uh, Comic-Cons. Yeah, like comics in its <clears throat> infancy and that whole idea of, like, is it mature? Is it juvenile? Well, Does not it that and, like, meeting the creators, you know, that yeah, becoming yeah. a thing through the convention. And um, it was just a lot of fun. This is really intriguing. And the fact that you do it all yeah. yourself, man, I did what it an all undertaking myself. that must be. I don't get along, you know. I'm a comic fan. I had to do it myself. <laughs> uh, Stan Lee is also a character in the book. Uh, he doesn't... I, I don't actually draw... I, 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 let's see, how can I explain this? Jack Kirby walks through the book. Someone I call Jack Kirby walks through the book. I put words into his mouth. But Stan Lee is a character in that I do one drawing of someone dressed as the king. Uh, and I, I explain that Stan Lee is the king of the convention. But I don't put any words into his mouth. And the whole time people are talking about Stan Lee. Uh, I, uh, Stan Lee died. As, as you know, everyone listening here knows that. And I became a, a very, very minor uh, Facebook celebrity when he died. Because uh, I wrote something up about him. And I guess, vi like, to me, viral is three people upcheck it. And I had 300 <laughs> upchecks on this one. Um, here's what happened. I, I I was the co-chair of the first comic convention in Canada. Okay, that was 1972. It was called Cosmicon. It was in Toronto. Wow. And uh, we invited Jim Stranko to it, and he came. Uh, we invited Gray Morrill, a name you might not know, but believe me, he had his day. And we invited a, a movie maker named Alan Rene to it. But... I don't know why Marvel 
sent, I don't know if Marvel sent Stanley up, but that was probably the case. They probably thought this is an out-of-country convention. It doesn't take big plane fare, big hotels. We'll send you up there. You can do your university thing at the convention. So he came up. We had a, a cocktail party. And this is, again, this is my guess. All the people that are out were at the convention, and there were a lot of people there, a lot of, big, at the time, big-name professionals. Uh, they didn't want to talk to Stan Lee at the cocktail party. And looking back on it, they must have thought we're in another country. We're here to have some fun. We don't want to talk to the boss. So the only person who could talk to the boss was the 18-year-old Ron Kasman. <laughs> and we talked for over an hour. Uh, really? The term FaceTime, yes, we did. Uh, the, the term FaceTime had not been coined at that time. It was just me talking to Stan Lee. And, uh, you know, there are all kinds of stories going out about Stan Lee. But I've got just a brief story. Uh, first, he was extremely handsome. Um, he was a tall guy, but at the time, people wore platform boots. So he was elevated another two, three inches by the boots. And I'm not a big guy. I'm only 5'9". He was at least 6'4 there in his, in his boots. Uh-huh. And he wore a suede jacket and suede pants and these, these high leather boots. People just don't wear that anymore. They're like cowboy boots. And uh, I, I went bald. I knew I was going to go bald. So I knew Stanley wore a wig. And, you know, every time he would glance the other way, I would take a look at his wig to see if it matched his hair. And I could not find where the wig stopped and the hair started. He had a good wig. And he was as handsome as a movie star. Really good-looking man. So that's half my story. The other half of the story is um, we talked about me. Uh, (laughs) Part of this, I think, was, was my own personal failing. I should have just gushed about all the stories he did that I loved. But I think when you're 18, you try to be cool. You know, you're saying to yourself, well, one day I'll be just as important as this guy. Why should I gush over him? Um, I should have just gushed. But we taught, he had a, a niece at the university. I was a science student at the time. And we talked about what I was doing. And he made me feel like I was an important person. Uh, that's an unusual quality in an individual. He didn't have to do that, but he decided that he would. Um, so this got hundreds and hundreds of, of upchecks. Uh, I, I told one other small story, which never came to fruition about Stan Lee. There used to be a, a TV show in Canada, and I don't actually remember the title of it, but it was something like um, uh, Work Your Dream, be Your Dream Job, something like that. And I heard about this. So I sent in what I considered to be my dream job. Uh, at the time, and, and to this day, I wasn't a very good artist. Uh, there are people in comics who can outdraw me under a crescent moon with their left hand. Uh, there are some pretty good people working in comics. But I did have the surfacey look. Uh, I, it, wasn't, it wasn't ridiculous to believe that at that time, and that was maybe 35 years ago, that I could draw comic books professionally. Um, so I sent, I, I sent in a note to these guys, which was basically true, saying of all the people in the world, uh, only people inside my nuclear family have affected me more than Stan Lee has. This is true. 
Uh, I've spent my entire life reading Stan Lee comic books, comics that either he wrote or he created or based on characters he created. Uh, an enormous influence in my life. And I said, I would love to, to draw a Stan Lee story. So um, I got turned down. And what they said was they don't uh, do stories to create professional portfolios. They said that the most common type of person requesting this is, um, is a model who writes in and says, I would like to wear, uh, you know, an original, I don't know, costuming, but, you know, an original Christian Dior gown and have makeup done by whoever does the really good makeup and walk down the runway with. They said they got those things all the time and they just had to turn them down, though they were very visual, uh, very interesting, had feminine beauty in them. Uh, they couldn't be a stepping stone to professionalism, and they viewed me as a stepping stone to professionalism. Uh, one of my buddies, his name was George Cass, he actually got in on this, and he said he wanted to ref a Harlem Globetrotters game. And he refed, he'd been refing uh, basketball for years. So they let him do it, but they didn't let me. So that's, anyway, that's my Stan, my Stan Lee stories. That's incredible. So I... I yeah, I, I guess you, comics were just different back then. We were being a comic fan, being over the age of twelve and reading it, was being part of a fringe cult. Uh, I was part of it. I think of myself as one of the five hundred or so people that that changed comic books from being uh, a business that wasn't doing well to becoming an emerging art form. It could have keeled over, and it didn't. Because there were guys like me who said, we want to read stories that are good stories. We want to look at art that's good art. And that changed the industry. Um, none of the companies were doing well. You, you, again, I don't know what you've heard. I, I'm, I, can, I can act condescending and I don't mean to. But there's a story about in the late 50s, the Marvel offices had all but closed down. All that was left, they say, were the filing cabinets. And Stan Lee was there sitting on a filing cabinet, when, wondering when they were going to move that thing out. Um, and uh, that's when he went home to his wife and said, uh, darling, this isn't going to work. And she said, well, if it's not going to work, why don't you start writing the type of stories you've always talked about writing? It's worth a try. And that's when he created the Fantastic Four and all those other characters that came about over three years. Mm -hmm. And then over the next five years, they passed DC as the largest comic company in the world. Um, so it's about the time when uh, Marvel had just passed DC as the biggest comic company. We really should have had you on a few weeks ago. Don yeah. <laughs> you <laughs> might have come in really handy on that episode, my oh. friend. Well, comics mean an awful lot to me. Uh, Same here. I, I used to letter. I used to letter for DC. Um, wow. Lettering. Uh, it, it's done on a computer now. I was doing it by hand. Uh, I've I've had st uh, stories published by Image. Um, I, I worked as a letterer for Image and Eclipse, a lot of other companies, and people saw me. People who knew me knew that I could. Like I, again, I'm not John Buscema. There are a lot of guys in there who can really draw. I can do it well enough to say I can do it. Um, I tried to get in as an artist at D.C. This is when I was about 27, almost 40 years ago. And um, they liked my stuff. They said they wanted to keep in touch with me, but they didn't like me enough to hire me. 
And they liked my stuff at Marvel, but same story. Jim Shooter looked at it and said, you know, I don't hire the, the artists. The editors do. What I do is I make sure some people aren't hired. So what I was told was he kicks out he, back then, again, uh, 38 years ago, um, I was told that 95% of the people were, were just turned away immediately. Uh, I wasn't turned away. He passed my stuff through the uh, editors, and the editors turned me away. They said they didn't want me. But uh, I had a shot at it. Uh, in the end, you know, I, I, was, I was getting older. Uh, I could get work as a letterer, and I did work that way. Um, penciling wasn't horrible. But I made money as a letterer, occasionally an inker, every once in a while a penciler, again, occasionally a writer. And I thought, I, I can do this. You know, I've thought a lot about this. I've done it in short bursts. I can do a graphic novel. So I did a 216-page graphic novel about the thing I love the most, comic books. And uh, I don't know if you're aware of this. Again, you couldn't be aware of this. You're in the States. I'm in Canada. Uh, it was nominated, I was nominated as the best cartoonist in Canada last year for the book. Uh, wow. There's no way I'm the best cartoonist in Canada. There are a thousand cartoonists in Canada better than me. But because of the book, because it was so well received, I got nominated as best cartoonist in Canada. It's still selling on Amazon. Uh, most of the, most books are... You know, they, they last about two months at high sales. Then the sales drop down for about two months. And then the sales go pretty close to nil. You know, you, you, look, you look at who's buying it, and some guy in Finland will buy a copy, and you'll, you'll wonder if he made a mistake or not. But my book is still selling. So I'm, I'm pretty happy that way. Steven Spielberg hasn't phoned me yet. I'm waiting for Spielberg's call. <laughs> Got to get off soon. He might be trying to call me right now. Oh, How would time. it be if I was talking to you on the phone? And Spielberg was saying, Ron, that really is good. We're going to make it into the next movie. Um, okay, so that hasn't happened. And, it, and, the ch and every day the chances of it happening completely diminish. But I think every person who does do what I did, and there are more and more, are saying, you know, I'm, I'm, I wouldn't be putting all this work into it if it was for the money. The chance of me making any money are kind of uh, nil. <laughs> but what I do have a shot at is um, the intellectual lottery. You put out a story like that, you're, you're one of hundreds putting out a good story that year. But some of those stories are going to be at the top of the New York Times bestseller list. Some of those stories are going to be made into major motion pictures. Mine isn't. But um, you do it thinking that it might reach a broad audience. Mm -hmm. So mine's on the, on the tail end right now. It's definitely not going to hit big. But no, you do it thinking... Never say never. Yeah, I wouldn't give up. Never say yet. never. <laughs> now, we, we've, we've talked about that on the show before. You know, uh, there have been yeah. stories of people who have created some of the, the biggest, most, uh, you know, talked about yeah. things out there that thought they would never amount to any of them. And some of them even, you know, sold their creation for pennies to watch it only <laughs> rise to fame. Oh, you know? 
So, oh, I don't want to hear that. So hold oh, on to it. Don't sell it for pennies. You're good, and you're good, Ron. But, <laughs> okay. Um, I cannot wait to get my hands on this book and check it out. Uh, I mean, I kind of had a overall scope of what it was, but now hearing you talking about it, the whole I different mean, light. Now. Yeah, that you're really grounded. playing on the heartstrings of your demographic. You know, I mean, yeah. who better to hear this story than someone who's already bound to pick up a right. comic book? <laughs> but um, I okay. know people you're, you're can very kind. Pick this up. I'm going to make you an offer. An offer you cannot refuse, oh, man. Uh, but it'll, but it'll take me a minute. I've got to I've got to find it out myself. Uh, here it is. If you go to http colon slash slash like everything else, mm-hmm. the Tower of the Comic Book Freaks, one word, the Tower of the Comic Book Freaks dot blogspot dot com. Mm-hmm. Now I'll say it again because it's a lot. It's a mouthful. If you go to the Tower of the Comic Book Freaks dot blogspot dot com, you'll see several pages at a time. Continuities. You know, I'm gonna. I'm. I'm at a computer. I'm gonna click on it myself. That's actually where I was uh, checking out some of the pages. Yeah. Oh, is that so? Yes. Okay. I'll make you another offer uh, <laughs> that you can't refuse. Okay. You, you've got my email. Yes, sir. Write me a note, and any of your listeners can do this. I'll do it for anybody. Uh, write me a note, and I'll send you some of the early chapters uh, completely free, no strings attached at all. Then if you actually like reading the chapters, you can buy a copy off Amazon. Uh, your local comic store might still have them. Um, one store sold 40 copies. Wow. Now, if I could just get every store to sell 40 copies, I'd be sitting pretty. That's, but that's, one store sold it anyway. One that's store the trusted struggle, me. isn't it? Yeah. Man, um, that's incredible, though. 40 copies at a store. I mean, yeah. that, that bodes well. Tell the star. Yeah, they, they made some money off it. So I made a little bit myself. They made a lot more. Um, but if you or any of your listeners, uh, what you can do, find me on Facebook. Send me a note on Facebook requesting early chapters. I'll send them no strings attached to anyone who asks. Fantastic. I like this. How can you turn that down? Yeah. I mean, come on. Free comics. <laughs> come on. And a good comic. A comic about the comic experience. Yeah. You know? Can't go wrong. Ron, I want to thank you so much for being here. And again, I want to remind people to head over to Caliber Comics to check out uh, the Tower of the Comic Book Freaks. And uh, also, like Ron said, on Amazon.com. Ron, thank you so much for being here with us today. It, it has been a joy. Thank you for letting me tell yet another story uh, on the telephone. Hey, our pleasure. Really enjoyed it. All right, and that was our interview with Ron Kasman. Again, you can check his work out at Caliber Comics. And uh, what was it? The Tower of the Comic Book Freaks. Blogspot.com. You can go there and check out some of the pages. Good memory, because I, I, was, I was losing as we went along. But yeah, I think, yeah, I think that was right. And I then, kept thinking WordPress, and then I was like, no, it was something different. <laughs> we'll have links uh, up on the website and uh, via social media to check out more about Ron and uh, check out this book. That sounds so awesome. I yeah. can't get over that idea of a, uh, of, a, of a comic book covering the early comic scene. His good. art is kind of that Golden Age style, too. Yeah, and it's like cool. it's a black and white with with blue. Yeah, and which is hard to nice explain. Touch. Yeah, it, it's it's really nice to look at, mm-hmm. I guess. But I feel like it's one of those books that once you get enthralled with the story, like you go back, you remember it in full color. Oh yeah, you know. <laughs> mm-hmm. But uh, anyway, 
yeah, check that out again. We'll have uh, links on social media. And uh, past that, I think that about does it for this week. So, Jack, what do we have on the website? Go to CandarePodcast.com where you can check out our special guests, get some merch, become a patron, see some YouTube videos. And if you'd like to be a guest and promote your work, send us an email on our contacts page. And don't forget, on Twitter and Facebook, we are at CandarePod. And on Instagram, we are at Canned underscore Air. Follow us on all those things if you've got the guts. And we're on Patreon. So, you know, throw a couple of bucks our way, get access to that exclusive podcast, which is a hell of a lot of fun, I and many other people think. So do it. Support your local podcast. That's us. We're your local podcast. Do it. And like we were saying uh, earlier in the episode, next week we are doing the Christmas episode, uh, which I think we are going to kind of play like we've always wanted to do. You know, Christmas episodes get harder and harder to do every year. How many times can you talk about the same Christmas Dude, movies yeah, and really. songs and shit? So Nothing is new under the sun when it comes I, to Christmas. I can't say that we're going to have anything super original, but at least you're going to try to do something different than what we've done in the past. Hey, if you think about um, Christmas, what do you do every year? Watch the same specials, yeah. the same kind of food. Yeah. The gifts are the only new thing that there's every year. So, I don't know. I mean, I guess that's why we're bringing gifts in, to have something different. <laughs> but it'll work. And we're going to be doing games for competing for prizes, really cool prizes. I'm excited to show you guys. Nice. Um, one that's kind of rooted in Candare history, actually. Okay. That's hmm. what I'll explain. Uh, it's before your day. I mean, it's, I'm talking like first ten episodes. Uh, remind me, okay? Because right. I'll forget. <laughs> Uh, and then, uh, always, as always, check out our other show, What If, at whatifpod.com and on iTunes. Uh, are we on iHeartRadio with that one? Not no. yet. No? no? All right. Google Play, maybe all Should the other places. Play, yeah. Tell your Google thingamajink. I want to hear Candare Podcast. Tell the Googles. There you go. All right. I think that about does it for this week. So until next time, I am Jeremy Colley. I'm Jack Doherty. I'm Jake Runyon. Thanks for listening, everyone. We got a show. obviously don't have any talent. Have you thought of giving up? Maybe I should just try again. Maybe you should try listening to Canned Air Podcast. Well, at least now I know. And knowing is half the battle. G.I. Joe! The red, yellow, and, uh, excuse me, red, yellow, yellow lettering with the yellow... God, you have an, uh... And, um, I butchered that already. Yeah, fuck you too. <laughs> All right. Uh, why was I trying to remember him? I don't know. About? He didn't do anything. He was just a hype man. Bar. I thought. You all right there, big? I'm guy? trying to remember. I'm trying to remember. Unless you mean the oh, re- the soundtrack. No, I'm sorry. We were talking about the soundtrack. Uh, uh, uh. You know, a lot can happen in seven minutes, and luckily. That's how long it takes me to tell a story. My name is Aaron Califato, and I'm the creator of 7-Minute Stories. I'm proud to partner with Evergreen Podcasts, 
and I'd like to invite you to join me on this journey. I'm going to take you on some crazy roller coaster rides using my unique extemporaneous storytelling style, and together we're going to try to make sense of the world, all through the art of storytelling, and all in approximately seven minutes. <laughs>